You're listening to the Dimes and Daggers podcast, a show that covers the NBA from coast to coast with your hosts, Jack Hunter and Will Cropper. Welcome in to the Dimes and Daggers podcast hosted by me, Will Cropper, or better known as Clutch Nets. And Jack Hunter. Jack, how are you today? Are you doing well? Doing marvelous. Today is Saturday. I just finished the ACT for the last time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm feeling good. I'm glad for you. All that hard work finally paid off. And now you you can spend some time with me talking about the NBA. I think that's a pretty good good celebration, right? Yeah. And you can spend some time with us on social media, too. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at dimes underscore daggers. If you're a fan of the pod or you want to become a fan of the pod, Follow us on Twitter, and we have all the links for you. Say you're listening right now on a platform you really don't like listening on. If you go to our pin page, say you're a big Pocket Cast fan. You know, you really like to listen to your podcasts on Pocket Cast or Radio Public. We got the links in the pin tweet on our Twitter. So, Dimes underscore Daggers on Twitter. You have everything you want. Uh, we'll expose people that don't follow back on Twitter. We'll give mm-hmm. you updates on when we're posting. Uh, we're posting podcasts again. I might tweet something on it right now, just, uh, just for just for it and anyway. if you're listening on spotify make sure to click that follow button that's really important i need everyone to do that and you can also download the episodes too because i know everyone's taking some long some long vacations this summer and you know long car rides dimes and daggers podcast is is perfect for perfect for that mm-hmm. all right anyway the reason or the the headline of this podcast said the reason we are recording this today is a big trade that went down between the Rockets and the Thunder. So ever since Paul George got traded to the Clippers, Russell Westbrook was rumored to get taken out of uh, Oklahoma City. We talked about it last week about how Houston was really, we didn't see how it would work. Uh, We thought Miami, Detroit, Minnesota might be the, the dark horse teams, but it was Houston that snagged Russell Westbrook. They got him uh for chris paul two first round picks very lightly protected it's one through four in 2024 and 2026 and then two pick swaps one in 2021 and one in 2025 so the pick swaps are uh so if oklahoma city is acquiring them if houston has a worse record and has a better draft pick they have the option to swap the picks i don't think it's going to convey in 2021 but 2025 is a long time from now so that could be that could be something yeah, uh, but what was those, your reaction to the trade? I mean, those picks, the 2025 and 2026 especially, like, we don't really know what's going to happen. I think in the future those will be valuable. My initial reaction to this was honestly just I, – I was shocked because I talked so much about last podcast about how this, this would just not work. I did not think the Thunder would take on Chris Paul's contract. I still don't agree with him doing it. And, I mean, I, I there's a lot of reports – that they're going to try to find a team for Chris Paul to go to, which is probably smart. Miami's the biggest one that's being rumored right now. But them trading for Chris Paul, like I, he doesn't fit there at all. They have Shea. They're going to have to do something with him. It's probably going to be Miami, but I never saw this uh, materializing because he doesn't fit at all with the team. And basically for me, I think this is just a really massive salary dump because they got really valuable picks here. They got 2024, 2025, and 2026. That's so far in the future. The Rockets could be crashed and burned, and their franchise could be horrible at that point. And those picks could be super valuable. That's why I think the the picks protection one through four was really important um, for actually Houston because if they are really bad, then those picks could actually become nothing for Oklahoma City. And I I like this trade for both teams 
I, I like it for I like it um on paper for the Rockets because you get Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is a dynamic player. This guy is an offensive juggernaut. He's the most athletic point guard in NBA history, in my opinion. He won an MVP uh, a couple years ago. He averages triple doubles like it's nothing. Obviously, like everyone knows who Russell Westbrook is. He's a force. James Harden, one of the best players in the NBA. You pair two of those. It, right now, you need duos in the NBA. And Chris Paul and James Harden was not enough star power to compete in that loaded West. So if you get Russell Westbrook to pair with James Harden, that is a superstar duo. That is going to help you compete in the playoffs and in that loaded Western Conference. And then for the Thunder, they I saw Woj's tweet. I think it's eight first-round picks they got jacked. I think it was eight that they got this offseason. I mean, this team is rebuilding. There's no better way to rebuild than just getting as much draft capital as possible. And when they flip Chris Paul, they're probably going to steal some more draft picks. I mean, this team, they're setting up for not only the future, but if they become contenders before all those picks can be conveyed and can be drafted, they can use those picks in the future in future trades. Presti did an unreal job this offseason. I, I still think that, you know, it's it's a shame losing your two stars, but he did a really good job this offseason. He's setting himself up and this franchise up so well for the future. And I, I don't think any Thunder fans saw the offseason going this way. I think Mike, <laughs> I think they thought their biggest move was going to be signing Mike Muscala, but when you lose two of your stars, the, the return that he got was unreal. I'm happy for both teams. I, if I was an Oklahoma City fan, you know, you haven't been a fan of a rebuilding team in a while, but it's pretty bad. But, I mean, <laughs> this team set up really well. There's not – you don't have no hope. It's actually a really good future. Um, you're not going to compete this year in the Western Conference, but in the future you very well could be. Yeah, the way that, the way that I look at it is it, – the, the funny thing about it is is that Chris Paul been being rumored to Miami? It's almost to this point where Oklahoma City owns everyone's picks, so everyone's going to be calling like, "Hey, can we trade for?" It's going to be like Gallinari at the trade deadline exactly. uh, if they hold on to him or Chris Paul, and you're like, "But we don't have any picks to offer you because you have all of our picks." Because Oklahoma City has like everyone's picks these days. Exactly. Uh, but the thing is, I'm gonna have to wait to see what they get for Chris Paul. I'm assuming when they trade him, because I could not see him playing a game for the Thunder. But my first reaction to this is, I, like you said, I don't, I don't know how or why the Thunder would take on Chris Paul's contract. My theory or my understanding that they knew is that somehow Chris Paul is not a completely negative asset, and that they could get something positive in return for him. Like if they can flip him to Miami and get. Uh, a draft pick or a young player and like they're obviously gonna have to take some salary back but if they can get like a nice young player and a draft pick and then you add that to the two first round picks and then the two potential pick swaps you add in there then that's looking like a nice trade but right now the way that it looks like it having Chris Paul on this Thunder team just doesn't make any sense for them but once again I'll have to hold my judgment back on the Thunder side of things but on the Houston side of things uh, it's gonna take a little getting used to. I think it's gonna take a lot of getting used to. I think the, most of this NBA season is gonna take some getting used to. I mean, oh my god! But Harden and Westbrook all time, even over Kobe, had the two highest usage ratings in one season in NBA history. The top two, like they're one and two, and 
ahead of Kobe Bryant, who was known as like one of the biggest shot chuckers ever. And so they're going to have to get used to playing with each other. And obviously they're probably not going to be on the floor together all the time because with Chris Paul and Harden, they were staggered a little bit, but they did play on the floor a fair amount. I think Russell Westbrook definitely can help this Rockets team. It's just a matter of if. Like, I think Russell will help them tremendously in the fast break. He's one of the better players in open court, like in terms of just going to the line or finishing around the basket, where Harden's more of a half-court guy. So he, I think Russ, Russell Westbrook opens that dimension of them going and uh, really speeding up the game. And I think defensively also, I don't think people talk about that enough. I think James Harden is a really underrated defensive player in terms of just deflections and steals. He's one of the top guys in the league in that. And Russell Westbrook, like you mentioned, one of the most athletic point guards we've ever seen and he's a pretty good defender himself so I think that backcourt defensively is going to be a monster PJ Tucker and Capella is a pretty good front court in terms of defensive wise and they signed Tyson Chandler they're rumored with Iguodala I don't know how they would get his contract onto their team but this team I think what's being underlooked about them right now or being overlooked is the, their defensive tenacity that they're going to throw on the floor next year the Chris Paul James Harden fit just didn't really work no. Like one, I mean, one of the biggest what ifs in NBA history will be what if Chris Paul didn't get hurt. And I yeah. mean, they might have won a championship. We never, we'll never know. But looking back, like I don't want to say that year was a fluke, but just this past year, that that was such a horrible dynamic. They just did not work together. And and. They they dealt with injuries and then Capella was hurt too. I just feel like this year, like, and they didn't have any depth either. They right. they, they were coming off a season where they had lost Ryan Anderson, they had lost Ariza, uh, they had lost Mamba Mute. So they had right. lost they had lost a lot of guys off of their bench, and then that they were that so their bench like they were playing like they found Austin Rivers like Danelle House, you know, he was he he they had just signed him like right. they they were really thin, and I think they're getting deeper. And I think they're they're getting better, and I think they should be healthier this year. Like knock on wood. Well, usually what you do to counter a a, a non deep team is that you have to have these like superstars. And Houston, Chris Paul is like he's not he can't do that for you anymore. That that year that they almost made the finals, that was probably in my I think that was probably his last year of really productive basketball. So basically, last year it was basically just James Harden carrying that team like he always did. So you add Russell Westbrook, who is known for carrying teams, is, can, can take on a huge load offensively, and you add him with James Harden. The, the one thing that concerns me is that these guys just, they're so used to just being the man on their team. They're going to have to work out some kinks. Like There's going to be some power some power struggles there. I mean, they're friends. They, they were teammates before, so I don't think the chemistry would be an issue. But I think late-game situations where – Who's going to take the last shot? Westbrook's personality and, like, I, I just don't see him taking that back foot. I think that's what Houston would want him to do. I think we talked about this, like, earlier, Jack. It might have been yesterday. But I think Houston's going to want him to take the back foot to James Harden. I think he'll probably have to for this Rockets team to be successful. But just that 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 fit overall, the Chris Paul-James Harden fit didn't really work. I don't know if this Westbrook-Harden fit's going to work either. Plus, Westbrook really doesn't really fit into this offense. This offense is super centered on three-point shot. And Daryl Morey traded for Chris Paul knowing he wasn't a good shooter. And they improved his shooting to an extent, but it, it never got to the point where he was this reliable three-point shooter 
that really fit into their offense. And Westbrook is even worse. You need this, like, I, I, I don't, I, I think that is an, a worry, but Westbrook's a good enough player that you can't worry about that kind of fit, which is why I like it for Maury. But there's definitely some worry there. And it's definitely more of a fit between Harden and Westbrook than the offense. But I think it, Mike D'Antoni is going to have a really, really, really hard job this year. He's going to earn every cent of, of his salary. And I think two things I have to say about this is, one, for a team that's so centered around shooting three-pointers and getting to the line staying there, this offseason has been kind of puzzling to me for Houston because they've been rumored for Andre Iguodala, who's a guy that's not a natural three-point shooter. They did not trade away Clint Capella, and I'm sure they had some uh, pretty appealing offers to do so if they wanted to. Uh, they got Russell Westbrook, who shot 29% from three-point line last year. Like There was a lot of guys on the market that are snipers from deep that would have gone perfectly into what Houston's trying to do I wonder if what they're trying to do now is solidify the defensive end a little more because I you know I I feel like in the western conference there's going to be so much elite offensive talent thrown at you that if you want to win like every team in the west right now that or close to every team in the west that I consider like elite that is finals bound is going to play really good defense this year I mean Los Angeles Clippers are going to be clamp city this year and then you look at uh utah utah is also always really good on defense as well uh in the lakers the lakers are going to be pretty old but i would expect them they have a lot of good defensive players like individual defensive players on their team as well so i think houston's kind of stepping it up defensively with the mindset that you know we can score on a lot of people already with james harden but we need to get better defensively and i think westbrook and harden can work but it's going to take a few things i think Westbrook's going to have to start being okay with the ball not being in his hands when the game's on the line or the ball not being in his hands as much as he wants on the half-court offense. I think James Harden still, in every right, should be the one at the top of the key that's calling for the screens or calling the plays that runs through him. And Westbrook, I think, is going to have to take kind of a Chris Paul role in the half-court offense where... You know, he's going to have to sit in the corner a lot. I think he can maybe get some points in the half court being a cutter. Like, uh, you know, everyone's going to go on James Harden. He's going to get double teamed. There's going to be a lot of guys on the perimeter trying to stop this three-point attack because they shoot like 63s a game. I think he's he could be nice off the ball cutting to the basket. I think that's he could find something there. Uh, and once again, he's a good rebounder, and he could find his way in the fast in the fast break cutting the basket on fast break and drawing fouls and you know getting baskets getting the line so I think there are ways that he can fit onto this team like especially defensively on the break uh cutting in the half court offense and you know playing off the ball but he's gonna have to change how he's been playing for like the last few years at least or really his whole career if he yeah. wants to succeed but I think he can though I mean he's he's really good at basketball he's of able course, to, yeah. I don't think there's to do that question with his talent level it's just his his uh what he's willing to do to make this team successful. I mean, if if he's going to have to take that Chris Paul role, there's no question. He's going to have to stop demanding the ball 24, you know, in every possession like he did in Oklahoma City. And he had that, he had that ability to do that in Oklahoma City, but with Houston, he's going to have to try to become more of a distributor. He's going to have to let Harden do him. D'Antoni, he he loves loves James Harden. He will let Harden ISO ball the entire game, and he has. So Westbrook's also going to have to get used to that. I, I think he'll, I think Antonio will wrinkle the offense to include Westbrook more, but I don't think that much is going to change with James Harden. I think Harden's still going to take as many shots as he has, 
He's still going to run that same iso ball offense. And Westbrook's just going to have to get used to that. There's, there's no question with his talent. It's that Westbrook's going to have to get used to something that he hasn't had to get used to at any time in his career, which is he's going to be not the focal point of the offense. I mean, you, you can talk about when him and Kevin Durant and James Harden were going on those finals runs, but it's going to be even more relevant on this Houston Rockets team because this is Harden's team. Everything's going to run through Harden. Westbrook's going to have to turn into way more facilitator. What Chris Paul was for the Rockets in 2017 was what Russell Westbrook's going to have to be for the Rockets next year. And he's so much of a better basketball player than Chris Paul at this point that the trade makes sense in that sense. But what he's had to experience in his career, he's going to have to get used to that um, role in Houston. I think it'll work. I hope it works because that, that duo is going to be really fun to watch, in my opinion. It's going to take some getting used to, but I'm really excited to watch that duo. I think it'll be really fun for Houston. Yeah, I don't think this offseason is completely over for Houston yet. They're, they're pretty over the, the cap in terms of what they want to do, but they they do have uh, Shumpert and Nene who were on their roster last year, and Kenneth Faree. They were all on their roster last year that are free agents, so I believe they can go over the cap to, to re-sign them if they do if they want to and I mean those are all guys that are good two-way players so and I I, so I think this Houston team I think a really underrated part of them next year is going to be just their energy and defensive presence I mean when I think like I I, we about about playing a game in the future episodes where you you get one word to describe players and I think you know if you take Westbrook you take and PJ Tucker together that is more energy than a lot of NBA teams have combined together and then you add Harden in his in his in just his pure will on offense and getting to the basket and getting to the line and then you, you have a lot of good surrounding pieces and with the potential to add more so I think I think, the, and they just signed Anthony Bennett too. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Uh, <laughs> that's a funny signing. I'm not going to lie. I mean, lie. I mean, he, he was a former number one overall pick. So, I mean, I guess it could. I guess he could flip a switch, but he's had more than a few opportunities to try and do so. So, I think this team is going to be solid next year. I, I think I. I think so too. I, I, like, I think if it works, yeah. I, I I hope it works. I think it'll work. I, I think they're going to be solid be like, no matter what. But yeah. This will be one of those things where it'll, in my opinion, it'll either end up really good and they'll be uh, even closer to where they wanted to be when they had Chris Paul, or it'll go down in flames. And they gave up so many picks and they're stuck in the repeater tax, like way above the luxury tax for years to come. And they have, they're eating dead money and they have no draft picks. And like this franchise just turns to waste for years and years to come. Or they can be in a really good spot, and Harden and Westbrook can coexist for each other, uh, and they could provide for each other, and they have a lot, not a lot, a lot of nice role players together. And I mean, I think this team could go far, or it could go down in flames. So I, I think that's interesting to see with the Rockets. I don't know if there's much in between, in my opinion. No, I don't think there's much in between either. I think it's either going to flourish or I think it's going to crash and burn. Because if it's okay, if it's okay, I think it'll end up really good. Because both of these players are good enough. Where if there's chemistry is okay, I think that's going to be more than enough to Definitely. get you where you want to be. I think the most interesting part was that you you mentioned about the usage rates. Is that these guys are the most used players in the NBA? Like I I, I just been on a tangent about that, but yeah, I think it's just that they're going to have to find themselves. They're going to have to work with each other. That's going to be the most important story. 
like going into this next NBA season, the storylines are just going to be incredible. I mean, you have how LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to work in Los Angeles. You have the new dynamic duo in the with the Clippers, Kawhi and PG. You have is Kyrie going to be able to lead a team in Brooklyn? And now you have this with Russell Westbrook going to Houston. If that if that duo can work, like this NBA season is going to be so much fun. I, I'm really it's going to be so exciting. Like it, I, I'm most excited for this Rockets team too. Like it's going to be really fun to see how they fit with each other and just to watch them in general. Well, and w- one thing I'll say about this Houston team too as well is that Houston has always been just on the on the brink of things so if there's if there's one player that can just kind of tap them over I think Russell Westbrook could be the the player to do so I think obviously they had they've had some stars that uh they've had some stars like that knocked them out or they've got some injuries that have been unlucky and they have they've had some stars in free agency earlier this year that they've could they could have acquired but they they couldn't like Jimmy Butler they were really heavily interested in him but obviously everything you can't you can't compete on every you can't win you can compete on everything you can't win on every trade or every signing type of thing but another thing too that the last thing I'll mention about this is that those two highest usage rates were because their team needed that to happen like if if Russell Westbrook doesn't doesn't put up all these shots per game like I mean, Paul George, I wouldn't call him much of a like a ball hog. I wouldn't call him him much of a high usage player. I feel like he more feeds off of other players, which I was why I think he'll be a nice secondary star in L.A. But like Steven Adams isn't taking 15 shots a game like Terrence Ferguson isn't going off. Jeremy Grant is not not doing that. So I think Westbrook was doing out of necessity and even more out of necessity was James Harden. I mean, when you can be efficient like he can and when you've got like Danelle House and whoever was even on the court last year for the Rockets at, at some points in the stretch. Like I remember they were playing the Warriors on the road and it was like Harden and like four other random dudes on the court because Capella and Paul were hurt and he dropped like 45 and hit a game winning shot from like pretty much where the coach is, where the coach stands during the game and like over four people and got fouled, but then didn't call it. Foul. It was like one of those things where it was just like an image of like what Harden had to do last year. And I think, both of them had to do it out of ne- sheer necessity. So I think, I don't. I think they can change their habits, but I don't think. I don't think calling them selfish would be necessarily the right word because I feel like they were doing it more of an out of necessity. And I think that could change this year when they realize, yeah. hey, I don't need to take fifty shots a game for us to to win. The last thing I'll say about it is that you mentioned this earlier. Today's NBA, you have to take risks. We saw with Toronto. Toronto took a risk with Kawhi Leonard, and they won a championship. This is a huge risk trade. For sure, and if it, but if it pays off, I could really see a championship materializing from this trade. I think Westbrook could be that Kawhi Leonard for Houston. I, I think that a player like Westbrook could put you over the top. You have to take risks now, and Daryl Morey definitely took one. But if it works out, I mean, I, 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 if this deal does work out, it's one of the best duos in the NBA, and it's one of the best duos in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is loaded, but you had I could really see this this duo possibly winning a championship. Yeah, we'll cover we'll cover a few more things about this whole trade before we move on to some minor news. But so what do you, where do you think you could see Chris Paul end up? I think right now the only rumored place is Miami and I'm still not sure where they end up, but do you have any places besides Miami where you think Chris Paul could end up? I mean, Miami's pretty like the only one that 
would actually have interest. His contract is just atrocious. Like any team has to just be able to be comfortable with paying him that much money. I think the only like other possible team would, I guess, I guess the teams that were rumored to try and try for Russell Westbrook will try for Chris Paul, maybe Detroit, because Detroit again their their point guard hole is massive. It has been for forever. I, I don't see like, yeah, Blake Griffin already played with Chris Paul too. I don't see too many logical and realistic destinations for Chris Paul besides Miami because Miami, they when they got Jimmy Butler, like that East is wide open. If you pair Jimmy Butler with Chris Paul, that could compete for a finals appearance because that East is is completely wide open. They are definitely in win now mode. They're gonna have to find someone to pair with Jimmy Butler and they didn't land Russell Westbrook, so I the, the next best option right now in the trade market is definitely either a Bradley Beal or a Chris Paul. So my, Miami is probably the most realistic destination. Honestly, don't really see any others. But Woj just reported that Chris Paul doesn't want to play any any games as an, as an Oklahoma City Thunder. He wants to get out of there. He has no desire to play for them. So they're going to find a trade. It's just a matter of who and when. And it's definitely going to be sooner rather than later and the only one that really makes sense that can match his contract and can offer some decent assets to oklahoma city is miami they probably end up just giving up justice winslow and maybe tyler hero i mean chris paul really doesn't demand that big of a haul anymore but it would probably be something along those lines and maybe some more picks which pressy would absolutely love and besides that Maybe Detroit could offer a decent package, but I don't really see any realistic destinations besides maybe those two teams. Because um, no one, no, no team's really desperate. Chris Paul doesn't really put any teams over that hump. So, and even if he did, that contract is so hard to trade for and to match and have the owner willing enough to pay a 30 some a high 30 year old Chris Paul, like 40. Four million dollars as player option later on in his contract. You're gonna have to find a team willing to do that, and the only one that really has proven to want to do that and can do that is Miami. So I, I don't see any other destination. I don't know about you. I, there's there's really no other place that I can see Chris Paul in the uniform next year. Well, I'm trying to match some salaries on the fly, and it looks to me that Miami would have the the most. Uh, contracts. They have six guys that are making in between ten and nineteen million dollars, and right. Chris Paul's getting paid thirty-eight. So if you mix and match a few guys here, I think Goran Dragic would go back to the Thunder, and I think he would be a, a solid, solid piece for the Thunder because it's not like like you don't have the ego of Chris Paul. So I think you know he could back up uh, Shea, or they could trade him again because at nineteen million dollars, I think he's a lot more desirable than Chris Paul at forty million dollars. Mm-hmm. But I still think. Chris Paul has value as a player, but his contract makes him negative value. I think he could still help a team. Like a lot of people think in Philadelphia, he'd be really good, which I think he would be pretty solid. That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. But Philadelphia doesn't have $40 million to carve out. So that would only be in a buyout situation. But in terms of a trade situation, I think 
I think Miami makes the most sense because you can start with Drogic, and Drogic makes about half of Chris Paul's salary. Then if you wanted to trade Justice Winslow, you're $6 million under his salary. And then, I mean, if you really need, if you needed another guy like Bam Adebayo, he's 3.4, but I wouldn't see them getting rid of him. The only thing Miami doesn't really have, though, is picks because they do have like a few picks here and there. But there is that rule about you, you you're not supposed to trade uh, picks in back-to-back years that are yours. So I think if Miami and Oklahoma trade happened, there would either be a third team or there would, there would be uh, more players coming from the Oklahoma City side. Like maybe Patrick Patterson or or, or Andre Roberson would, would be in that trade. Because if you look at it from the Heat side, like it just doesn't add up mathematically until... Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just number wise complicated. We'll we'll tweet it out in terms of because it's just I, hard to explain here. So many, some I've seen a lot of people want, like a lot of Lakers fans in general have been fantasizing over a Chris Paul buyout, but I don't. There's like, no I, reason I just, for the Thunder to buy him out because I think and, the Thunder and, could get value for him. I think the right. Thunder could get could get a young player. There they could get. Like we're looking, they could. I think they could get Justice Winslow, or they could get Dion Waiters, or or someone that could maybe play with them past this year. Right. And that's that's an incredibly expensive buyout, like incredibly. That's not just like a cheap um, six million dollar veteran who you want to who enter the buyout market. This is a massive hundred twenty plus million dollar contract. I that it's that's like the most that's the last resort option, I guess, for Oklahoma City, because Chris Paul's not. I, I do not see him playing a single game for the Thunder next year, and he doesn't want to. So that'll probably be the last resort option for Oklahoma City, but. That'll be after they try absolutely everything. Like that, that buyout, I do not expect at all. I, the only like, I, the only teams that can really match his salary, like you said, is Miami, and Miami. But Oklahoma City's, they're gonna try to get some more picks for Chris Paul, and Miami really can't offer that. Like Chris or Oklahoma City already owns their twenty twenty one and twenty twenty three. Is it uh, first round picks? So they're gonna command an even more. Yeah. So Miami's gonna be without a first round pick for forever if they're trying to try and get Chris Paul. And well, the thing I don't know is, if... Miami has enough young players where I think I think if they if they went to Oklahoma City and they said like we'll give you Goran Dragic and then we'll throw in like Justice Winslow, throw in Justice Winslow and then maybe if you uh, I think I mean like quick math that's like six short of it and then like. And then they can add another eleven and like Myers Leonard or something like that. And oh, I think the and the intrigue that Oklahoma City wants back too is guys that are on one year contracts. And Miami has a ton right. of one year contracts. Like James Johnson has a player option for next year. Justice Winslow is under contract, but only at thirteen million dollars. So that's not a lot of money going into next year. Olenek has a player option at thirteen mil that I would expect him to opt opt out of, but I'm not quite positive. Like. And then uh, Myers Leonard's a free agent after next year. Drogic is a free agent after next year. So I think I think it's not only going to be about bringing in money for the 2019-20 season, but guys that are off the books, so they'll they won't have to pay Chris Paul forty million dollars in 2020-2021. Right. And you have to think that like there's not so many teams with point guard holes besides Miami and Detroit and even the Lakers, but the Lakers is completely out of the question for me. There's not so many teams like without with point guard. Holes that can really match this type of salary that can put together a package for Chris Paul, which is why this makes this trade just so hard for the Thunder. But I, I, I fully expect it to happen. I just think that, and I fully expect it to be in Miami. I just think it's going to be when and what type of package they put together. Um, again, I think the buyout is just a lap, last resort option. I don't, I've never really even heard of a contract that big, like an owner being 
willing to buy it out. And I think that if worst comes to worst, I, I guess Chris Paul would play. But again, I, I just don't, I do not see it happening. Okay. So I think that's, we, we've covered all we need to in the Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade. Now we're going to move on to some minor news. And I, I don't think this is much of a storyline in terms of the player itself, but just kind of how this happened. So a few weeks ago, when free agency opened up, Marcus Morris agreed to a two-year, $20 million agreement with the San Antonio Spurs. You know, the Spurs have a solid roster. Morris would have definitely improved that because they got uh, Damari Carroll also. They also have a pretty just solid roster around them, a lot of defensive guys, a lot of length there. And uh, so it was reported, I think about last week, that he was wavering on his contract. Like He didn't think it was the best fit for him or, or something like that. Uh, right. So then when he was thinking about it, like New York, offered him a one-year deal he's thinking about it and then Spurs said we're giving your spot to uh the man Trey Lyles who's mm-hmm. famously known for being a piece in the trade that allowed Utah to trade up to select Donovan Mitchell in the NBA draft I think he might be forever known as that uh, <laughs> yes and so anyway the Spurs the Spurs used uh, their spot that Marcus Morris was all of a sudden kind of wavering about to give it to Trey Lyles and then Marcus Morris agreed to a one-year $15 million deal with the New York Knicks. Uh, So this kind of raises the question about we've seen a lot of uh, player we've seen a lot of player strength so far and is it coming to a point where you think the players have too much power in the league where they can agree with contracts but before they sign them they can just be like yeah I don't know about that. Well we saw this with DeAndre Jordan um, back when he agreed to a contract with the Mavericks, and then he backed out. So this isn't this isn't new. I I don't really think that it's the point where the players have too much power. I mean, the players run this league. Without them, they're nothing. This the NBA especially is built on stars, like marketing stars, and the NFL not so much because it's more of a team sport. But the NBA, a player can change everything. That's why I think that the players just have so much power nowadays. I, I don't really think that has gotten to a point where they have too much. I, I think that they should be able to command this because it, it seems like every single summer a superstar requests a trade. And it, we saw it with Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, and now Ru- Russell Westbrook to an extent. Like This was unheard of back maybe 20, 15 years ago. And even I think it was Kobe Bryant who requested a trade from the Lakers and that never actually happened, but we didn't see this 15, 20 years ago, but now it's become even more evident because the NBA has just become a massive business, and they're, they're still growing, and their ability to market these type of stars is why they command so much power, and they have so much power over these teams, and you have to think about, too, is that when these stars, they request trades, it's not only a reflection on them, it's a reflection on the franchise. If the franchise is not willing to trade that star, other players are going to take notice, and those players are going to see how the franchise treats stars who want to leave that team. They're going to think, oh, if I'm going to sign a contract here, I want the ability to get out at a certain point if I don't like the situation I'm in. And if a team is not willing to get you out of the situation, they're not going to have players sign with them because they're going to be worried that at a certain point, if, if they want to leave and they want, um, if they, and they're not happy with their situation, situation that they're going to be stuck in that contract in that city for this and for that entire time so i think that the type of power that the players have it's it's not too much i think that uh i think that to like 
to a certain point, maybe it's it seems like it's become like every other day these stars are requesting a trade, but that's just what the NBA is today. Well, yeah, I think a, a lot of the NFL players complain about how, you know, we don't get the guaranteed money that the NBA does. Like, we don't have the power, the players that the NBA does. But I think, I think like, overall, comparing the, the contracts and, like, the ownership versus the players in the sports is a bad comparison because uh, NBA players are paid more because they're more marketable, they're more valuable. Like, you know, if you look at the NBA, there's, like, 15 guys on every roster. I mean, there's actually like 12 of them that actually play. There's 30 teams where you look at the NFL, you've got those 52, 53 man rosters. In uh, NFL, the NFL is a sport where, and football is a sport in general where it's built to be replaceable. So it's built to lose a guy here and plug a guy in there type of type of situation. I mean, there are very few players like on a, on a field or on an NFL team that are replaceable or I mean that are that are super valuable that like you can't lose, but with the NBA, it feels like almost every one of your players is a guy that if you lost, it would just be a, a gut punch. So I think the whole argument like, well, the NFL should be getting guaranteed money. They should be getting paid a lot because Todd Gurley's a lot more popular than Tobias Harris. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it's just a different argument, but that that's kind of, that was kind of going off there. But what I have to say is I think there needs – there needs to be a, a balance, and I don't know if necessarily it's a, if it's right in the middle because I think the players running the league and I think the stars aligning together is good for the league, and I think that's what's made the NBA so popular, so player-friendly. But I think it's important that every offseason and every year doesn't become a 2K offseason. I, I I like the whole idea of like the offseason being fun, of guys moving around everywhere, but loyalty needs to be something that that still exists in some places because right. I, I, every, when you have every year, you have guys moving from team to team to team. Like it's good for the NBA when you've got guys like Dirk or you've got guys like Kobe that, that stay for teams that long or not even their whole career, but stay, stay for, you know, five, 10 years. Like, I feel like the NBA, right. You need needs, some sense of continuity. Needs, with needs, the a NBA. Con- needs to control a little bit because I feel like a lot of these fans are like, this this guy just left me after one two years. We just sacrificed our whole franchise for him, and now right, he's, like he's gone like that. Like I feel I'm, like I'm, I'm afraid to buy an NBA jersey. Like that guy yeah, could get traded tomorrow. You, you can't buy an NBA jersey because it's like, like I got a Vince Carter Hawks jersey, but that's like on a whole different level because I probably knew Vince Carter was going to be back with the Hawks this year. But I mean, there's a good chance that Vince Carter's not going to be back with the Hawks. And I got I, I got I nothing to do with Russell it. Russell Brooklyn Nets jersey, and he's gone. I, I feel like it's there. just one of those things where like. It's it's not necessarily a bad thing when like this whole duo thing about like Mike Conley and Mitchell and CJ and Dame and Ben Simmons and B, like the whole duo thing that's forming like with PG and like LeBron and AD PG Kawhi type of thing. It's not a bad thing for the NBA. I think it's gonna be marketable. It's gonna be entertaining to watch. Not that the Warriors juggernaut is over, but it, also you've got to be careful with too many guys moving around in the off season because then you know you don't ha- you can't have the same attachment to your team you can't have the same like emotional attachment to your team when you have new play when you're introducing eight new guys in free agency every year and at the draft every year it's like what are we doing here and jack like this could all happen all over again 2021 that free agency class is absolutely loaded and one of the one of the premier free agents in that class Giannis Antetokounmpo he could if he moves teams that shakes up the entire landscape of the NBA and that is so similar to what happened this year. I, I think that there needs to be some sense of continuity within teams. Loyal, loyalty just doesn't seem like anything. Like Russell Westbrook was so valued by that Oklahoma City team because 
he never gave up on them. He stayed with that team through everything. He was there. He was one of the last players from the Seattle Supersonics. He was drafted by that team. He's been there for that long. That's why it was such a gut punch to that franchise and that fan base to lose a player like that because they valued him so highly. And I don't think that players are going to be loved by an entire fan base as much as Russell Westbrook because they just keep switching teams. I mean, a lot of these players also, they gain these fan bases that surround them. We see it with LeBron. That's been evident for forever. We see it with LeBron. He has a massive fan base. Kobe has a massive fan base. You see also players like Kyrie Irving and even uh, even Russell Westbrook has a big fan base I've seen. So it these these guys aren't going to be loved by these franchises fan base because they just don't stay. Like Kyrie Irving went from the Cavs to the Celtics now at the Nets. And how is he how is he going to be I don't want to say respected, but he's not going to be if you have these fans just scared to latch on these players because they're they're going to there's this sense that they're going to request a trade every other minute. It's it's like it, I don't really. Yeah, I, I, I just see I, I want there to be some sense of continuity within the NBA. Dirk was so loved and even Dwayne Wade because they just stuck with their teams like you see these Players teaming up now, Kawhi leaving the Raptors. The Raptors gave Kawhi everything he wanted. He he was loved by an entire country, and he still left. So I, I just want to see more players become loyal to their franchises. And I, I just, but I don't see that happening anymore. I mean, I, I could see another massive, crazy offseason happening two years from now in 2021. And it's fun. It's really fun to see all these teams make these moves and these complete shakeups in the NBA. But again, like, I, I want to see these teams run it back and make these huge runs uh, for years to come and not just completely change everything within one year and blow everything up because something doesn't work. And, and uh, two things that I have to say about this whole thing as well is that, first of all, the whole sense of like rivalries in the NBA uh, just doesn't doesn't mean the same thing anymore. Like I, I feel like I remember the days in like Giannis or Kawhi versus Giannis or Giannis versus uh, the 76ers, like Giannis versus Joel Embiid, like those are those are really good rivalries that could have been that like, or I mean Giannis and the 76ers could hold true, but like you mentioned, 2021 or even next year, a lot of things could change. But I you know, I remember like there was rivalries for years and years with two teams that would just clash every single year, and the fans hated each other. I feel like there's. I mean, there's some of that like still in the NBA, but it's not definitely not as much because these players move around teams and these teams look so different every year that there's no really big rivalries in between the players or like in between the teams because every everyone leaves everywhere. It's like the the Celtics fans uh, and the Wizards fans, like the Wizards fans hated Isaiah Thomas and the Wizards and Celtics hate each other. Well, now Isaiah Thomas plays for the Wizards because the Celtics didn't want to hold on to him. So it's like, it's like you can't you can't hate Isaiah Thomas, but you hate the Wizards, so it kind of softens the whole rivalry type of thing. I just don't think there's the type of rivalries we used to see because all these players are just moving teams like that. So you don't have like attachment to your players, you don't have attachments to the rivalries because those rivalries are in and out all the time. And another thing that I'll say about this too is if Giannis leaves the Bucks in 2021, that will be so bad for the NBA because like everyone everyone say oh he goes to New York he becomes the biggest star ever but to all the small market teams that to that 
think they have a shot or want to have a shot at holding on or keeping a star, that will literally be the gut punch. That will be, it was already hard for Kawhi to leave Toronto. That was already like a, hey, small team market, like you can't do anything about this type of situation. But if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, who has done everything they can to surround him, they have they have gone into the tax. They have signed everyone. They have drafted well. They have the best head coach in the league. They they built a new arena for him. Like he is a star in Milwaukee. He is an icon in Milwaukee. They have done everything they have possibly could do. They have uh, they have already said, please sign a supermax extension. Like just take our money. Like you can have as much mm-hmm. of it as you want. Like we'll we'll go so far in the tax for you. We'll get you whatever. And they they have. They've done whatever. And if and if he leaves to go to say the Knicks, who aren't as functional of a franchise as Milwaukee is, or another team like. I don't know, maybe Atlanta, some people are tripping about that. I don't think that could happen. But anyway, if he leaves to go to another place, that will be the death to the small market teams in the NBA. Like the way they do business, the way they play basketball. Because if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, then how how are you supposed to convince another small market team that they're supposed to hold on to a star? They're supposed to be able to get one and keep him. Well, we just saw that with um, the Pelicans to a lesser extent. The Pelicans had, and they, they got the first pick in the draft in Zion Williamson, they tried to surround Anthony Davis with everything. And the Pelicans, I, they didn't do a great job before hiring David Griffin surrounding Anthony Davis. So there was definitely some justification there. But they they got the number one pick, and Anthony Davis still wanted a trade. They could have surrounded him with Zion Williamson, Drew Holiday, and then had this um, put together another great offseason to surround him, and yet he still wanted to leave. And it, like you said, it would be the death of the small market teams because – that just shows you that no matter how competent of a franchise are, if you aren't, an, if you aren't in New York, if you aren't in Los Angeles, if you aren't in these big cities, it's gonna mean nothing to these guys. These guys don't want to play in cold Milwaukee. We just saw with Kawhi Leonard; he doesn't want to play in Toronto. He wants to play in Los Angeles. It doesn't matter they surrounded him with everything he wanted. It's because he wants to play in Los Angeles. He wants to play in the warm weather. He wants to be in this big market to grow his franchise that he can't be in in Toronto. It's it's scary for the NBA that. These guys are not – they don't want to stay with these teams that give them everything. They just want the biggest name for themselves. And it's not selfish of them because they are human beings. They want to make money. They want to make a legacy for themselves. But it's scary for these teams that no matter what they do, they're going to lose these guys to these big teams no matter what happens, no matter how good their front office is, no matter what they give these guys. The Milwaukee Bucks that gave Giannis everything he wanted. They just signed his younger brother, for God's sakes, to a two-year deal. <laughs> I mean, like, they're, they're doing everything that, that Giannis wants. If Giannis leaves them, it's it's horrible. This It's really scary for these teams. They're going to be, like, what do you think Zion's going to do in his max rookie extensions up in eight, seven years? I mean— New York the, calling his name. Exactly. Like, you already have R.J. Barrett saying that he's going to recruit him to New York— when that happens, like, this is ridiculous. I mean, it, it's really it's it's really bad for the NBA. Like, you're right. I hadn't even thought about that and about the ramifications it has for these small market teams. These these it's it's just shows you that if you're not in those big markets, it's going to be really hard for you to retain these players, especially in today's NBA. Okay, we're going to move on to our final subject in today's podcast. Each of us are going to give three winners and three losers of free agency. Some of us are, both of us might have similar winners and losers. We did not discuss about who we have. So 
some of it could come as a surprise. Some of it could come uh, as, you know, not a surprise. We're going to start with the winners. So, Will, who is your third winner in free My agency? My third winner in free agency is the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz did not necessarily have uh, a super free agency. They got they got a really, really solid piece in Boyan Bogdanovich. It was more that they filled a massive hole that plagued them for years in point guard spot with Mike Conley. They they right now have a really formidable roster. They have a big three of sorts in Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley. And then they just capped off their offseason by signing Boyan Bogdanovich to that good contract and surrounding that um, Donovan Mitchell, who's a slasher, and Mike Conley, who's also sorts with shooters. I, I really love the Jazz offseason. Um, I think that they're set themselves up to compete really well in this loaded uh, West. And I really could see them making a run uh, this year. My third winner uh, might come as a surprise, but it has to be the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm, I like that. That's a good they, choice. I think they had a really good draft. John Moran, I think, is going to be very good. And Brandon Clark, a very underrated pick. They traded for the pick to get Brandon Clark. I believe from the Thunder. I could be wrong on that, though. And Brandon Clark had a monster summer league, a uh, ton of production. I mean, that's not obviously uh, that that's not I'm not saying he'll be good because if he had a good summer league. But I, I generally think he'll be a, a solid player. Uh, they did a few other nice things. They traded for Andre Iguodala, which I thought was just genius because they took a first round pick to get Andre Iguodala. And now it looks like they're going to be able to ship him out for a first round pick. So they're going to net what seems like to be two first round picks uh, just just for doing business with the Warriors and getting Iguodala. They took a, a flyer on Josh Jackson, which I think uh, in the right setting, Memphis, it's kind of lost its grit and grind type of feel, but I still feel like some of it's there. The, the discipline will be there. Memphis is a, probably a better ran organization than Phoenix. So I think Josh Jackson's going to get a second chance, you know, new breath in Memphis. I think he could revive himself. May, you know, he has a ton of potential. And then they got Tyus Jones on a very team-friendly deal too. And I think... Uh, with more playing time in Memphis, him and Ja together would, would be pretty nice. He's on, getting paid under $10 million for the next few years. And they also uh, really flipped a page on what they need to be doing. They signed Valanciunas to a nice deal as well. They traded Mike Conley and got Grayson Allen, who, I, who, who flashed some potential last year of being a solid role player. And they've got a first-round pick from Utah as well. So I like their offseason. They got some uh, present, like some players that are entering their prime that they can do something with. They got some old guys that they can flip for picks. And I really like their draft. So Memphis, I, my third winner. I really like that pick too. I think that's. I think that the Grizzlies had a really underrated offseason too. They they were quiet. They didn't make any huge moves, but they were really smart. They created a lot of flexibility for themselves. They got a lot of picks. They drafted really well. I I like that pick. That's that's a good pick. Um, and then my second winner, maybe a slight bias, but in my opinion, I think the Brooklyn Nets had the second best offseason in the NBA. I think that. They put themselves over the top with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They also got DeAndre Jordan. And not even just those guys. They improved at literally every position. They improved their point guard spot by losing D'Angelo Russell. They got a good backup shooting guard to Kara Silver and Garrett Temple, which they did not have in Alan Crabb, who was injury prone. And when he came in, he was really, really bad. He just did not do what he did best, which was shoot the three while he, just, he, he, he was not a productive player from... And um, small forward spot, they get Torian Prince in that trade for Alan, uh, for Alan Crabb when they uh, create a flexibility to create to get those two max spots 
for Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Prince is going to be a good player for this Nets team off the bench. At the power forward spot, they um, got a guy named Kevin Durant, who's pretty good. Um, they filled their biggest hole, which was getting a stretch four. Durant is not just a stretch four. He's an all-time great player. He put He's going to put this team over the top when he comes back in 2021, in my opinion. At the center spot, DeAndre Jordan, they got absolutely bullied by Joel Embiid in the first round last year. And throughout the year, Jared Allen has just gotten killed by these bigger bigs. And getting Jordan provides that big body, that good defensive presence. So the Brooklyn Nets not only got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they improved tremendously in every aspect of their team. That's why I had them at two. My number two was a team that you mentioned, number three, which is Utah. I think Utah recognizes their windows open. They did everything uh without blowing the bank. I think what thing that I like about them is that they the trade for Conley, they did trade a few pieces away here and there, but it's not something that's gonna destruct your franchise. Like uh if Mike Conley doesn't pan out for them, then you gave a first round pick and you gave up Grayson Allen and Kyle Corver and Jay Crowder. Like that's not gonna be the end of your franchise. And I think Conley's gonna be a good fit for them, plays really good defense. And I really like Boyan Bogdanovich that I like the signing too. And I really love how they created flexibility by uh, getting rid of Derek Favors and signing who I think is like 80% of Derek Favors or 85% of Derek Favors and Ed Davis. And I like the how they picked up Jeff Green, who I think is a really underrated piece, and Moutier off the bench too. So I think the added depth, added starters, added star power, I, li- I like Utah going into next year. That's what I, yeah, I, I like Utah a lot too. They had a great offseason. Um, my number one pick for the best offseason in the NBA, I said that they had the chance to be one of the biggest losers in the NBA last podcast, or the first podcast, actually, the Los Angeles Clippers. It's really easy to talk about them. It's really easy to say that they're the number one, but it's because they deserve it. I mean, this team retained every, almost every single piece from their, the team that brought the Warriors to six, uh, healthy Warriors at that. And then they added two superstars, or one superstar and one close superstar on Paul George to this team. and. That, to me, that, that put them over the top. They brought back uh, Jermichael Green. They added Rodney McGruger. They have massive depth to sustain these two, um, to sustain injuries, injuries throughout the season. They have a really good roster around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And they were one of those teams, like the Nets, who needed two stars or just one star to put them over the top. And they gave up in uh, the Paul George trade. They... Gave up Dino Gallinari and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who would be two pieces that they'll miss very greatly. But they still have Patrick Beverly. They still have great scores to replace Dino Gallinari's production in Lou Williams. They added Maurice Harkless um, from the Portland Trailblazers, they, which replaced um, Gallinari in the wing. I think the Clippers did extreme, like, they had one of the all time great offseasons to me. They added two stars. They have a great roster around them and they're ready to compete for a championship this year. The Clippers, it's easy to say they're number one, but to me, it's just the obvious choice. I, I can't put anyone else there. Yeah. I think, I think I was reading this, that the Clippers were the only team in NBA history to acquire two players in the off season that both averaged 25 plus points a game. And right. uh, in the season before, so I I'm, I I have the Clippers number one too. I don't really know what else I have to say about them other than I think they have a ton of depth. They retain their depth. They sign new depth, like Rodney Magruder and Mo Harkless are going to help them. They re-sign Zubats and Jermichael Green and Patrick Beverly. I think I think they're 
if there if I had to pick a finals pick today, I think it would be the Los Angeles Clippers. Me as well. Uh, I think, I think they're, they're probably the easiest one to pick, but it's it's it just to me like the Clippers just are the obvious choice. I don't think there's too much to say about the losers, so I'm gonna read all my read all my losers off, and then I guess you can you can do the, I'll same, do the same as well. Now. So I, my first my third loser is the Washington Wizards. It's just they failed to move with John Wall or Bradley Beal or Jan Mahinmi. And we know they're not going to win a title with those two. We know it's not going to work out. So it's definitely time for them to rebuild. They still do not have a permanent general manager. Uh, so that's something. I just think they, they need to go down. Like They need to rebuild. And it's been time for them to do it for a few years now. And they won't do it yet. So that they're my third loser because they won't do anything. And I also didn't really understand what they were doing by drafting Rui Hachimura ahead of Cam Reddish. But yeah. I don't, I don't know. And Phoenix was my second loser. Uh, I think they overpaid Ricky Rubio. They're paying him like $16, $17 million a year for the next three years. Uh, I think they overpaid Kelly Oubre out of just because we have a lot of money and little guys assigned type of situation. They paying him $15 million a year. I, that draft day trade where they traded Jared Culver for Dar- one year of Dario Saric and Cam Johnson, I will never understand that. And then they traded TJ Warren for cap space they traded tj warren and a pick just so they could clear cap space like when indiana got on the phone with the phoenix suns about the pick indiana thought phoenix was saying phoenix was saying that let's trade your first round pick uh let's trade your first round pick indiana and for tj warren but what phoenix actually was talking about was we'll give you our first round pick and tj warren just to take him off the book so that is I one of the, about that. That That's is ridiculous. one of that is one of the all time in like just in the last few seasons. James Jones, worst, man, worst Great GM. Great And GM. then my number one loser, I I think the Suns might have done worse, but in just in terms of like gut punch, the Charlotte Hornets. You knew you weren't going anywhere. You knew you were gonna lowball Kimball Walker in the offseason. Like, wh- why did you not trade him? At the trade deadline, you could have gotten you could have gotten picks, you could have gotten young players, you could have gotten so much for Kim Walker at the trade deadline just to just to play half a season for another team. And instead, you wait till the end of the offseason. You know you're gonna lowball him. You know you're not gonna do anything in the offseason to actually surround him with anything. So you lose him for nothing, which he's a franchise player. He's a fan favorite, so that's already bad. And then to make matters worse, it's not like you start rebuilding and start trying to trade away some of your pieces. Then they lose another guy in free agency, Jeremy Lamb. Then they sign Terry Rozier to one of the worst contracts of free agency, $20 million a year for a guy that has never consistently started in the NBA and who has one of the worst true shooting percentages of a guy that's like making that type of money. Yeah. That was just boneheaded. So those are my three losers. I want, I want to hear yours. Um, my honorable mention, I'm going to say that first, is the New York Knicks because I truly don't think that they really lost. It was that their expectation – was so much higher than what they actually got. They had like a good offseason. They they did well for themselves. Like I think that what people don't realize about their offseason is that they signed these guys to really good contracts, not only for them, but for other teams. And they signed these role players who to contenders at the trade deadline. The Knicks are going to be able to flip those guys who are on great deals for this for the teams who are good role players for those contenders. They're going to be able to flip them for more draft capital for maybe young players. And I think that's why people are confused why the Knicks didn't take on contracts for picks. It was because this was their strategy all along. They wanted to get these role players so at the deadline they could flip them for draft capital rather than take on bad contracts just for draft picks. Um, I, I, I like their offseason, but I just think that they, in the sense that they didn't get nearly what they were planning to get 
at all. Um, but I don't think they truly lost. The teams that I think they truly lost were number three for me, which is you're, you're going to be shocked at first, but the San Antonio Spurs. The San Antonio Spurs, it, not not really just um, on the surface. Losing Marcus Morris is like, eh. I mean, he's a good role player. It's not a shell. It's not a huge loss. It, it, he's a good role player. They got DeMar Carroll from the Nets uh, in a signing trade. Uh, they traded away Davis Bertans. Um, and they got uh, Trey Lyles. But I think it was more that every team around San Antonio in the Western Conference improved tremendously. And the Spurs' biggest offseason acquisition was DeMar Carroll. Like, this team was so, for so long, a Western Conference juggernaut, a playoff lock. But it just looks that it looks like right now the Spurs are probably going to be looking out um, of the playoff picture for the first time in I don't know how many years, but it, they have one of the longest streaks in NBA history, I know that, because they have a good duo in LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, but all of these different teams that were bring playoff teams like the Clippers, the Jazz, they all prom- they all improved tremendously. This conference got marginally harder. Like I, I, I can't stress how tough this conference is. And the Spurs just their roster just does not look like a playoff roster in that conference, which is why I think that they were my third biggest loser, not because they lost out on big any big free agents, but because they just failed to improve their roster, which um this it's not very Spurs esque in to do that, which is kind of strange for RC Buford. But um my second biggest loser was the Washington Wizards, like you said. The Wizards just do not have a direction at all. They so far have failed to trade Bradley Beal, which I don't know why they haven't done it. It's kind of ridiculous to me to even have him on your roster and just prevent him from being a contender and helping someone, first off. And second off, you're literally losing a huge amount you're going to need because this team is going to have to go into a full-fledged rebuild. You're going to – you're right now, you're not getting those picks. You're not getting those young assets to to start your rebuild with by keeping Bradley Beal on your team. You're going to keep this – horrible hope that maybe you can sneak into the playoffs if that's their direction or maybe they're gonna wait for john wall to get healthy i don't really know but i don't really see what the wizards are doing they had a really bad offseason they have horrible contracts they have the worst contract in the nba and john wall which is probably going to be untradeable and yet they're hanging on to bradley beal for some strange reason that i honestly don't know so that's why they're my second loser and a team that we were talking about throughout this entire podcast and I told you that earlier why this is my biggest loser was the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's Presti, I'm praising. I love Presti. He did a really good job with these trades. He got an unheard of amount of draft picks. He got great a great young asset in Shea Gillis-Alexander to start your rebuild. He got two players who can, he can probably flip for more assets in Gallinari and Chris Paul. But it's more that this team was thought from the end of last season to a week and a half ago to be a team that was going to run it back and be a contender in this conference. And within a week, they are now looked at as possibly the worst team in the Western Conference who's going to be fighting for the number one pick in the draft next year 
who's going to be in this rebuild for years to come, who's, or for a couple years to come. I don't want to say years to come because I think this team's going to be very good very soon since they did such a good job rebuilding from these trades. But that the, the reason that they're my biggest loser is that they just they went from possible contention to just immediate bottom of the NBA, bottom feeder, rebuilding mode um, type team. Which is why that that's why they were my biggest winner. But I remember that you were telling me that you didn't think that because they did so well from these trades. But and they did, and I can acknowledge that. Um, and I'm I'm proud of Presti, and I'm Thunder fans should be excited. But they went from contention to rebuilding within a week. That's why they were my biggest loser. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have today in the Dimes and Daggers podcast. We touched on a lot of things from Russell Westbrook to Chris Paul to Marcus Morris and the whole player versus owner power in the NBA. And then we each gave three winners and three losers. We actually had a pretty good contrast on our losers, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, but anyway, going forward, we're going to have a lot of guests. We're going to have a lot of games. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of improvements going forward. So the NBA is going to be dying down this summer. But the Dimes and Daggers podcast, we're only heating up from here. So make oh. sure to make sure to follow us on Twitter at Dimes underscore Daggers and hit that follow button wherever you want to listen to us. Uh, it don't matter. A click is a click. Anyway, uh, Will, you got any last words before we head out? I don't have any last words for you, Jack, today. Um, just follow us on everywhere that you can. Uh, um, we're going to keep putting out really good content. I'm really excited for what's going to happen. All right, everyone. We'll catch you in the next one, hopefully pretty soon. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll catch you in the next one.